0: Stop. Look. He's gunning for trouble. 007. It spells Bond. Shocking. He's the idol of every woman. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. The envy of every man. The nemesis of the treacherous Mr. Goldfinger. 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 A triumph in thrill making cinema entertainment. The man with the mind. A three-time winner for Fleming's Secret Agent 007. My name is Pussy Galore.
1: Isn't it customary to grant the condemned man his last request?
0: you rasp for this. <coughs> Come and purr over Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore. <coughs> the female who is all feline. Also starring Gert Fruber as Goldfinger. International cheat, international menace. Gisselman! Goldfinger,
1: why weren't we told the
0: New York and the West Coast weren't on this? Goldfinger, I made a delivery. Where is my money? And you owe me one million bucks. Goldfinger, the man with a finger in every pie. His goal, Fort Knox, the world's biggest bank. His enemy, 007, the world's wiliest, toughest gentleman agent with a license to kill. 007, it spells Bond. James Bond, mixing business with girls and thrills girls and fun girls and danger the hotter the danger the cooler he takes it i think you've made your point goldfinger thank you for the demonstration choose your next witness isn't carefully mr bond it may be your last
1: do you expect me to talk no mr bond i expect you to bye
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Is It Jaws?" the movie review program where we ask ourselves, is it yours? And I am Paul Spitaro, and today I am joined by my good buddy, Dave Pascarella. Welcome aboard, Dave. Thank you.
3: How's it going?
2: It's going good. How you doing? Absolutely great. Thanks for coming on. And uh, Dave and I went to uh, Comic-Con together this year, New York Comic-Con, that is. And while we were talking, this show came up and I said, what show do you, you know, what movie would you like to do? And Dave was definitive and quick and said, "Smoky and the Bandit. Unfortunately, we had already <laughs> recorded a Smokey and the Bandit episode. So I said, well, what else do you want to do? And he suggested Goldfinger. Uh, I don't know if you knew when you suggested it that I am a big James Bond fan and this is my favorite James Bond movie.
3: Well, I know you're a man of great taste, so I just assumed, I assumed you would be a fan of James Bond, particularly Goldfinger.
2: Absolutely. I I love this movie. What was your first, I I think I'm giving away my my rating too quickly here. This movie was okay. Um, Eh, if you're into that. Yeah, if you like that kind of stuff. Uh, What was your first exposure to this I'm going to say it was probably
3: on the Sunday night movie. I don't remember what channel, but I know more than one used to run a a movie on Sunday nights. And I believe it was uh, my father and Uncle John sat me down to, to watch Goldfinger. Because in our house, Sean Connery was James Bond. Everybody else was, you know, a pretender.
2: Yeah, well, he, he is definitely my James Bond. There are some others that, you know, I mean, I, I'm i a James Bond fan. I like every James Bond movie, even the ones yes. that people think are bad. I still enjoy them. I can Agreed. sit down and watch virtually any one of them. Uh, but Sean Connery is my James Bond, and this is my my James Bond movie. My my Sean Connery James Bond movie. Uh, it's interesting. I was thinking, in my opinion, I mean, not obviously not everybody would have to agree, but in my opinion, the three... Or the third movie has been the charm for three James Bonds. Because I think Goldfinger is Sean Connery's best. I think The Spy Who Loved Me is Roger Moore's best. And I think Skyfall is Daniel Craig's best. All the third for them.
3: I could agree with you as far as Roger Moore and Sean Connery. To be honest, I, I haven't seen any of the Daniel Craig ones.
2: It's a very different feel from... The other Bonds, because it goes for a little bit more gritty. Uh, But I would definitely recommend that you check them out. I don't want to go too far afield, though. I don't want to take it too far. But my first experience with Bond, and I'm not sure what order it happened in. But my parents took me to the movies to see Diamonds Are Forever. I'm pretty sure that was my first theater experience. But I also saw in the theater with my two brothers a double feature of uh, You Only Live Twice and Thunderball. When I was pretty young. And I'm not 100% sure which order those two happened in. And I saw Goldfinger on TV, probably on a Sunday night movie. And again, I'm not sure the exact sequence, but those are my first three major James Bond experiences.
3: For me, the first one we saw in the theater was Moonraker. My uh, folks took me to see that. But I had previously seen, I would say, uh, Goldfinger... Doctor No, and you only live twice. And I remember being very impressed with the the space aspect of it at the time, because I think Moon, Moonraker was either contemporary with the space shuttle or right before it was a thing.
2: Yeah, it was it was pretty much as as I recall, pretty pretty contemporary, give right, or take right. a little bit. But, uh, you know, like, and I don't want to go too far to all the other movies, but I just thought Moonraker was them trying to basically redo The Spy Who Loves Me only in Outer Space. We did it at sea in, in The Spy Who Loves Me, now we're going to do it in Outer Space. Uh, and I thought Spy Who Loves Me did it much better.
3: Yeah, I, I, well, there's, there's a couple of them that seem like they're they're pretty much ripping off the same idea. I thought The uh, Spy Who Loved Me was very similar to You Only Live Twice except one was spacecrafts and the other was submarines.
2: Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, for a while they went on a lot of the base, same basic premises, and for that to that end, I should give the plot of this movie. Yes, sir. After destroying a drug laboratory in Latin America, James Bond, Agent 007, travels to Miami Beach, where he receives instructions from his superior, M, via CIA agent Felix Leiter to observe bullion dealer Oric Goldfinger, who is staying at the same hotel as Bond. The agent sees Goldfinger cheating at Jin Rumi and stops him by distracting his employee, Jill Masterson, and blackmailing Goldfinger into losing. Bond and Jill consummate their new relationship. However, Bond is subsequently knocked out by Goldfinger's Korean manserv, a hulking giant called Oddjob. When Bond regains consciousness, he finds Jill dead, covered in gold paint, having died from skin suffocation. In London, Bond learns that his objective is determining how Goldfinger smuggles gold internationally. Bond arranges to meet Goldfinger socially and wins a high-stakes golf game against him with a recovered Nazi gold bar at stake. Bond follows him to Switzerland, where Tilly... Jill Masterson's sister, makes an unsuccessful attempt at revenge by firing a rifle at Goldfinger. Bond sneaks into Goldfinger's plant and discovers that he smuggles the gold by melting it down and incorporating it into the bodywork of his car, which he takes with him whenever he travels. Bond also overhears him talking to a red Chinese agent named Mr. Ling about Operation Grand Slam, Leaving, Bond encounters Tilly as she tries to kill Goldfinger again, but trips an alarm in the process. Oddjob kills Tilly with his hat. Bond is captured and Goldfinger ties Bond to a cutting table underneath an industrial laser, which begins to slice a sheet of gold in half, with Bond laying over it. Bond lies to Goldfinger that MI6 knows about Operation Grand Slam, causing Goldfinger to spare Bond's life to mislead MI6 into believing that Bond had things in hand. Bond is transported by Goldfinger's Lockheed Jetstar private jet, flown by his personal pilot, Pussy Galore, to his stud farm near Fort Knox, Kentucky. Bond escapes and witnesses Goldfinger's meeting with U.S. mafiosi who have brought the materials he needs for Operation Grand Slam. Although they are each promised $1 million, Goldfinger tempts them that they could have the million today or 10 millions tomorrow. They listen to Goldfinger's plan to rob Fort Knox before Goldfinger kills them all using some of the Delta-9 nerve gas he plans to release over Fort Knox. Bond is recaptured while eavesdropping and tells Goldfinger the reason why his stated plan to rob the gold depository will not work. Goldfinger hints he does not intend to steal the gold, and Bond deduces that Goldfinger will detonate an atomic bomb containing cobalt and iodine inside the vault, which would supposedly render the gold useless for 58 years. This will increase the value of Goldfinger's own gold and give the Chinese an advantage from the potential economic chaos. Should the authorities be alerted, he would simply detonate the bomb in a major city or target. Operation Grand Slam begins with Pussy Galore's Flying Circus spraying the gas over Fort Knox. However, Bond had seduced Galore, convincing her to replace the nerve gas with a harmless substance and alert the U.S. government about Goldfinger's plan. The military personnel of Fort Knox convincingly play dead until they are certain that they can prevent the criminals from escaping the base with the bomb. Believing the military forces to be neutralized, Goldfinger's private army breaks into Fort Knox and accesses the vault itself as he arrives in a helicopter with the atomic device. In the vault, our job handcuffs Bond to the device, the U.S. troops attack. Goldfinger takes off his coat, revealing a U.S. Army colonel's uniform, and kills Mr. Ling and the troops seeking to open the vault before making his escape. Bond extricates himself from the handcuffs, but Oddjob attacks him before he can disarm the bomb. They fight, and Bond manages to electrocute Oddjob. Bond forces the lock off the bomb, but is unable to disarm it. An atomic specialist who accompanied Lighter turns off the device, with the clock stopped on 007. With Fort Knox safe, Bond is invited to the White House for lunch with the president. However, Goldfinger has hijacked the plane, carrying Bond. In a struggle for Goldfinger's revolver, the gun discharges, shooting out a window, creating an explosive decompression. Goldfinger is blown out of the cabin through the ruptured window. With the plane out of control, Bond rescues Galore, and they parachute safely from the aircraft before it crashes into the ocean. The end. That was
3: That was was
2: all right. What was that? And yeah, the movie was all right. It's you know it's a more sophisticated plot than I think people give James Bond credit for.
3: Oh, it's, a fantastic
2: plot. It's, really, I think, it's a fantastic plot. Really, it's a fantastic plot. In a lot of these stories, and and I was a victim of this as a, as a much younger man, when I would see these movies, I just kind of like went with the flow. You know, Bond would find a clue to something, and that would lead him to another country where he would be investigating it. And it always seemed much, much too convenient to me. But I would just kind of go along with it. And to a large extent, that is still kind of true in some of these movies. But if you look at this one, it all does kind of fall into place more organically. It doesn't seem as forced as it does in other movies, in, in my opinion.
3: Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, watching this you know, today again, there was so much foreshad- foreshadowing in this film from the very beginning all the way to the end, there's so many pieces to the puzzle that it's almost telegraphed what's coming. And it's fantastic the way they do it.
2: Well, give me, give me some examples of what you're saying about the foreshadowing.
3: Okay, from the very opening scene, where you, do, you get some humor with uh, Bond swimming up to the pier with a bird on his head as part of his disguise. He breaks into this facility where they're storing massive amounts of nitroglycerin and he basically blows it up. But when he leaves the facility he's destroying, he unzips the scuba outfit and he's got a tuxedo underneath, puts a flower in his lapel, and he's off to uh, a nightclub. At the very end of the picture, it's the same thing that Goldfinger does. He's at Fort Knox, the battle is about to begin. He whips off his coat. He's wearing a military uniform. It's almost exactly the
2: the same thing. Interesting. I I, I hadn't considered that. But that that is an interesting parallel that I had. And, and just another parallel, not you
3: know, to beat a dead horse. In that opening sequence, when he kills the guy in the bathtub and ele- he electrocutes him, foreshadows the end of Oddjob at the end where he
2: electrocutes him. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Another good point. Excuse me yeah i th- I thought this movie hit the ground running with that yes. scene, and I don't know if, you know by today's standards, the way action movies are you know for the uh what is it they're like action movies for people with a d d nowadays <laughs> or at least it feels that way to me and yeah. and I like a lot of the action movies, but there's some that I'm just not really that crazy about um, I think this one you know it does take its time to develop a plot, but it has the action interspersed into it and a lot of the scenes in it are really well choreographed and and the one that comes to mind most to me is is the ending and i hate to jump to the end so quickly but uh that whole fight with our job in in fort knox is just so well done yes i when i was when i was in college i took a film class and or one of the film classes i took i took several but the professor who taught this one class Actually, was he was a member of the crew on this movie. I, wow. I don't I don't know exactly what he did, but he he showed us that scene, and I remember beforehand before he put it on, he kind of begged the class. He says, "You're gonna you're gonna wanna just watch the scene and let yourself get immersed in it." He said, "But fight that urge, and watch to see how it's put together, and how the editing is done, and how the the camera angles are done, and and just the the whole choreographing of the scene." And keep in mind that no one knew what Fort Knox looked like on the inside because the government would not give them access to it to, to even kind of replicate it. So they had to do all of this from what they think it might look like. Right, right. And, and I can tell you it took about 30 seconds, and everything he said I forgot, and I just got totally immersed in the scene again.
3: Well, th- that fight is also, to me, it's a realistic fight. Whereas today, you would have a fight where they would literally be slugging each other to the point of, uh, it's not realistic. I think it was very realistic,
2: the fight, in Fort Knox. And, and and certainly, you know, Bond physically didn't have a chance against our job. Right, not in the least. You know, the only way he was going to win was to outthink him, which ultimately he did. Yeah. One, one thing that jumps out at me is... is, is I think a lot of the attempts at humor work really well, and yet the one thing that always comes to mind for me—and I guess it's good because I remember it so well—but it's just so such a painfully bad pun, is when he goes to go into Goldfinger's hotel room, and yes. the, the maid says, "But that's Mister Goldfinger's suite," and he looks at her and says, "Yes, you're very sweet." And it's just—it's <laughs> such a bad pun that it it just has always stayed with me. Yeah, there, there, there's
3: a lot of <laughs> puns. There's the pun where uh, uh, Tilly Masterson, uh, he blows out her tires and causes the card to go into a ditch. Oh, I hate to see you ditched.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, we got, obviously, Sean Connery we talked about. Uh, what did you think of Gert Frobe as, as Goldfinger?
3: I thought he was a great villain. And I was astonished to find out <laughs> that wasn't even him speaking that he didn't speak English
2: yes that that was always amazing to me because it does look very much like he's speaking they really did a good job of syncing the uh, the, the dubbing I think he did a great job and and I, I thought he I thought you know you combined him with odd job because our job was the physicality and Goldfinger was the plotting the ruthlessness and and just to combine them he didn't need to have the physical presence he didn't need to have to be able to you know to to combat bond one-on-one in a in a hand-to-hand battle because you had our job to do that our job was the physical threat
3: right the muscle
2: but but you know goldfinger was the the match for him you know mentally or you know strategically and, and that was great. And, you know, you just see so many scenes with, with Goldfinger just seething. Like the scene went with the Gin uh, Rummy th- tournament, or game, rather. And Bond makes him throw the thing, and then they just show him snapping the pencil in his hand because he's just, like, out of control, angry right at that moment.
3: Right. He's, ju- he's just ruthless throughout the whole film. I mean, th- think about the scene in the what they call the rump room where he meets with the mobsters. He takes the time to explain his whole plan to them, knowing he's going to kill them all.
2: Yeah, and, and you think that he just kills the one guy who opted out. Right. Or you think that's going to be it, that the other guys, you know, the honor among thieves kind of thing. But no, he just kills them all. And then he was going to kill all the people at, at Fort Knox.
3: Yeah, I think they say in the movie 60,000 people would be killed. More, more people die in car accidents in America. That was his response. And
2: uh, now, I think our job I think he was a wrestler.
3: Yes, he was. I think he won a go. Uh, he won. A, he medaled. I don't know whether it was gold, but he won a medal. He was the first uh, Hawaiian to win a medal in the Olympics for the United States. And, and as he, per the feature,
2: he's he's presented. Very effectively, as just you know, it's like basically he's like a a block of uh, cement.
3: Yeah. Well, Bond hits him, throws the gold bar right at his chest, and he just
2: smiles at him and keeps coming. Yeah. Exactly. It it, you know physically Bond was not at all a match for him. And then this, the one weakness in this movie, casting-wise, to me, was this maybe quite possibly my least favorite, Felix uh, Leiter.
3: Felix Leiter was a disappointment to me. Like I said, I don't remember the exact order I saw the Bond movies in, because I was real little when I saw the first one. But having seen Dr. No, and knowing that's the first one, every Leiter was a little bit of a disappointment after that, because to me, Jack Lord... He
2: was the perfect Felix Leiter. Yeah, he he would be number one on my list. And there there have been others that I liked. Uh, I actually liked Bernie Casey as as Felix Leiter in Never Say Never Again. Uh, I liked. Uh, I, well, you haven't seen the current Bond movies, but I, I, I like the guy they have playing Felix Leiter now. He's uh, he's got a significant role on Westworld, the uh, okay. HBO series, right. And. Uh, I'm trying to think else yeah we had uh, David Hedison played him twice
3: right he was in uh was a live and let die and uh the one where he dies doesn't he die he doesn't
2: with die with Timothy he, Dalton he gets, he gets maimed uh Priscilla okay. Barnes dies his bride right boy but you know
3: there's the other main star of this movie too the Austin DB5
2: yes and, and you know what that, that's one of my biggest memories too I even remember when I first watched this on TV my, my mom saying you gotta see this movie you're gonna love the car
3: the car was fantastic and there was a whole bunch of stuff the car could do they said that they didn't work into the movie
2: but you knew when, when uh, Q showed him the different things that he would make use of each of the ones that Q showed him Right, right and more- he did
3: My note on that was Chekhov's everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's
2: that's a good comment.
3: (laughs) I remember as a kid also, the big selling point was they used to sell in the toy store. They would have a section with a glass case of the more high end stuff. Like, do you remember Corgi cars?
2: I I still have a Corgi. Goldfinger car.
3: That's the car. With the, I think the roof came off
2: part of it, right?
3: Or something like
2: and, that? And it's got a little button to pop up the uh, the bulletproof thing in the back. And it has an ejector seat.
3: Yes. A fantastic toy. I wish I had one.
2: Uh, you can't have mine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were saying in the, uh, the extras that the car could really spray oil... And do all the other stuff, minus the real machine guns.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: How, however, they said what they when they were going to do the oil scene, they had to remove the bulletproof shield out of the trunk to put the tank in for the oil.
2: Oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, you can only fit so much in there. And that, that bulletproof shield was probably six inches thick.
3: Yeah. And they also said the car did have the capacity to uh, spit off in the back... Uh, you know, the, like those balls that are spiked to cause flat tires? Mm-hmm. It could do that, and the uh, push bars in the front and the back would extend to hit something. Perfect. But they never used it in the film.
2: Now, no Bond film would be complete without talking about the soundtrack.
3: And what a great
2: soundtrack it was. Yeah, I mean, the theme song, you know... we. We we did a uh, lit long play on James Bond theme songs. This is definitely one of my favorites, and you wouldn't think so. Like as as a whatever I was when I saw this, ten years old. You or you know maybe even younger than that, you wouldn't think that would be the kind of music you'd want to listen to. And yet, you know, my parents had the soundtrack album, and I found myself listening to it more often than uh, than you would expect. And the, you know, just everything about it, the 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 main theme song, the orchestration throughout. And then, and, you know, always when you have the classic James Bond theme, too.
3: Yes, yes. You, know, you
2: can't go wrong.
3: I was uh, also reflecting upon, uh, oh, it just froze out. Pussy
2: go uh, Honor Blackman. Now, what did you think of the chemistry between her and Connery? I think for the way she was written, it works.
3: I mean... They're they're more adversarial than most Bond
2: girls. Yeah, see, I I saw more immediate chemistry between Connery and Jill Masterson. Yes. yes. Than than Connery and and Pussy Galore. Although you gotta love the name Pussy Galore. Uh, (laughs) and, And yeah, they were adversarial. But I'm not sure I totally... Bought it at the end when they do uh, hook up. No, it, it didn't. You know, I didn't totally go for that.
3: Goldfinger so. was one of the first books I read. I read the book after having seen the movie.
2: Oh, so wh- how how did the book differ from the movie, if you remember?
3: I would say of all the James Bond books, this is the closest. The only differences were um, Tilly Masterson lives a lot longer in the book. I think she makes it right up to the point where they're going to rob Fort Knox. And then she's killed.
2: Same, the po- same manner?
3: I think so. I think so. I'm not sure, but I, I think it was the same. Don't hold me to that, though. And the plan is to rob Fort Knox. There's nothing about an atomic. They're going to rob it. And they understand it's going to take a long time to do. And I think the difference was they were poisoning the water supply. And causing it to appear to be a situation where there was some contagion. That the area would be sealed off. And they were going to go in like as the relief team to steal all the gold. Okay. And in the book they, they pretty much spell it out. That Pussy Galore and her flyers are lesbians.
2: Right, that's what I've heard.
3: And that he, tur- he you'd never be able to make this movie today. He turns her. By basically forcing himself upon her.
2: Yeah, you you definitely could not do that. Uh, I I think they they were well served in steering clear of those plot lines anyway. Right, exactly.
3: But uh, she was a good character. I I agree with you, though. I don't buy the the, uh, romance particularly at the end. The, the the other thing I have, you know, just thinking about the ends of the film, where he he's going to meet the president for lunch. And, uh, of course, Pussy Galore winds up flying the plane and Goldfinger's on it. Goldfinger was so ruthless, let, yet you see the pilots and co-pilots tied up in the hangar. You
2: would have thought they would have just killed them all. That's true. That's true. It's a good point. Now, uh, we do, uh, I do like to talk about a uh, couple of the details here. Now, this was released in London on September 17th, 1964. Uh, any, any guess as to what the budget is on this?
3: Uh, Three million dollars. You got that on the
2: nose. Did you know that, or was that just that guess?
3: I, I'd like to say I'm just that good at guessing, but I, I did hear it in the uh, featurette on the film.
2: Okay, and I'm gonna switch over to Box Office Mojo, only because I think they're more reliable as far as their numbers. What, what would you, if you don't know already?
3: No, that this uh, what would you I have guess no the domestic
2: idea. gross was on this.
3: Ah. Oh. I would guess seventy-five million
2: dollars. Okay, well, that's not terrible. You're, you're overestimating it a bit. Fifty-one million, okay. but with a budget of three million, that's not shabby. What's then, the
3: rule? The rule is what you're supposed to double it.
2: I think it's two and a half.
3: Two and a half. So they move. They're well within there.
2: Yeah. And according to Wikipedia, the gross, which would be, I guess, would be worldwide. Was one hundred and twenty-four point nine million. So you're kind of in between the domestic and the worldwide.
3: Wow, it's impressive. It's really
2: impressive. You don't have any idea what Sean Connery made for this movie, do you? No, I don't. I, I don't think back then that they would do the three movie deals that they do now. Right. So it's probably you know he he each movie he'd have to sign a new contract for. I'm guessing right if it's a three million dollar budget i mean he he couldn't he couldn't have made that you know no 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 compared to what it made but i mean
3: look at the sets they must have spent a, a ton of the budget on the sets alone even for that opening scene the set is so impressive and you see it for what two minutes three minutes
2: yeah it's true now this was directed by guy hamilton who uh who also directed Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and The Man with the Golden Gun.
1: Mm.
2: Those are his James Bond movies. Other other movies of uh, note, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, Force 10 from Navarone, a Harrison Ford movie. Uh, and there's a few others here that I don't recognize. But uh, you know, four, four Bond movies, and of the four... Well, as as I've said, I like all the Bond movies, but uh, the one I would say the weakest is probably The Man with the Golden Gun.
3: Yeah, the only thing I really liked about that one was J.W. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: there, there, there were a few things about it that I liked, but... Uh, there was a lot of humor in that one. Yeah, that, well, that was the difference between the Connery Bond and, and the... Con- con- excuse the Connery Bond and the Moore Bond. More, Moore definitely tended to go more to the, you know, th- more to the slapstick end, whereas Connery was more puns and you know just raw humor. Right.
3: I think not having seen the Daniel Craig one, so I can't comment on that. I think Sean Connery, between the t- him and Roger Moore, Sean Connery is more the way Bond was written in the books. He's not a nice man. In the books, he's you know, he's
2: ruthless and a killer, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, what other notes have you got on? on uh, let's on see,
3: I from the featurette, I learned that the um, the golden girl, you know, that they show in the beginning when these the opening credits are being played, right? That is dink. The masseuse who was giving John uh, John Sean Connery the massage in the beginning, it is not Jill Masterson. And why they did that, I don't know. But she's the body. Okay. Uh, here's a question for you. Maybe you know. When they speak about how uh, Jill is killed with the skin suffocation, is yes.
2: that is that legitimate or is that made up for the movie? So I've never heard anything definitive on it, but I have heard that it's made up for the movie.
3: Because uh, my only knowledge of it is when I when I was in high school and we took biology. Some fellow raises his hand and asks the uh, the biology teacher about you know is it true you can suffocate if you're covered in paint? He says no where did you hear that he goes well you know i was watching this james bond movie and the teacher's like i thought you were going to say a documentary no that's not true
2: (laughs) yeah i I have like i said i have heard that that is not true but uh i I, like i said i don't have a good uh source for that information
3: that's why dr bill should be here for a medical opinion that's true.
2: I'm, I'm taking a quick look on IMDb to see if they had a uh, if they had any kind of a, a comment on that.
3: They did mention in the uh, the feature with the film that Jill Masterson is on film for about five minutes tops, and she is yet one of the most famous Bond girls.
2: I'll give you, I'll give you a, a little personal trivia on that. Uh, I I had a uh, framed picture of the movie poster for goldfinger nice and i asked about hanging it up and she saw the picture and she says oh i don't know if that's appropriate to hang up (laughs) and ultimately i did not hang it up it's hanging up down in my basement now but uh i i i did not hang it up and i I have a uh, framed poster from goodfellas hanging where that had been or that was planned to be because apparently the Images of the Golden Girl on it are offensive to some people. Mhm. Yep. I could see that. See, no, I really can't, honestly. <laughs> well,
3: I'm saying I can see the way people today see it that way. Yeah,
2: I, yeah. I thought that was a bit of an overreaction. But that's uh, just me.
3: The whole world is an overreaction today.
2: Get off my lawn now. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a poster that was acceptable for the public to see in 1964. And I, I don't believe they got very racy back then. No. you know It wasn't like they showed any of our body parts. All you saw was that there was a girl laying down with gold paint on her. Right. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Moving on. For, uh, away from my bitterness from not being able to hang up my James Bond poster.
3: I love how this film had the, uh... What would go on to become GPS technology with the tracking system. Uh... I like Tilly Masterson's 64-and-a-half Mustang. I'm assuming it's a a 64-and-a-half. Wasn't that the first year for that car?
2: Um, I'm not familiar on that type of trivia.
3: I think it was either 64 or 63. I know it was a half. It came out in the half. And that looks like one of the first ones to me. Uh, I thought it was neat that they made Goldfinger's plates on his car, AU1. Right. Let's see. Uh, One of the best lines in the movie is when James Bond is strapped to the table and they're demonstrating the laser. And as the laser beam is coming up between his legs towards his crotch, and he says to Goldfinger, Do you expect me to talk? And he goes, "No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die."
2: And there's there's a couple of other lines in there too, though. Even he says, "What well, you forget, if I if I you know if I don't report, 008 will replace me. So I trust he will be more successful." <laughs> it's great, <laughs> great.
3: And, and to repeat again, beginning of the movie when he electrocutes the guy, shocking, positively shocking. The one line is in this film were fantastic.
2: Yeah, and, and the fact that you know Connery didn't get all the good one-liners, that Goldfinger even got a couple of them, you know that that's, that to me is an evidence of some good writing. Yeah, and well, that, that can... sequence. You know, we, I talked about the Fort Knox sequence, but that sequence also is just very, very stressful in the way it's it's portrayed, very suspenseful. Right. No, it, and it, it's, it's a great. A, and and liter- literally a slow burn. Yeah. So, just I'm looking through some trivia on this. Interestingly, Sean Connery wore a toupee in this and every other James Bond movie that he starred in. He first started going bald at 21 years old. Wow. What a shame. Well, you know what? Once he stopped playing Bond and just started wearing, you know, like he, like he was one of the first men out there who was like, I'm bald and I don't care. And and I think that was put, you know that was seen as, as a very cool thing on his part too. Right. Yeah. Jack Lord was approached to return as CIA agent Felix Leiter, but he declined. He had played him in Doctor No. The role was recast, beginning a succession of different actors in the role. Only David Hedison and Jeffrey Wright would play the role more than once. In Goldfinger, Austin Williams was originally cast as Felix Leiter, but Sec Linder. As Simmons, oh, excuse me, and and Seclinder as Simmons. However, they asked to swap parts shortly before the production.
3: Hmm. You, you know the problem I always had with the casting of Felix Leiter is, I understand it's different actors, but they didn't even get them close as far as resembling each other.
2: Yeah, it was. It was as if they didn't have like a character model to work with.
3: Right. Just grab one guy off the street and throw him in.
2: Another interesting trivia point, and like I said, I'm just kind of looking these over as we're talking. Some of Pussy Galore's all-women flying circus were played by men wearing blonde wigs.
3: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. Well, I, uh, in the feature, one of the things they mentioned was when they're doing the flyover and the troops are collapsing, that right. it was the same squad of troops that they just moved from location to location. They were real U.S. Army troops, and they were paid $10 each and given a beer. That was their payment.
2: <laughs> just go over there and fall down. <laughs>
3: yeah, and, uh, Guy Hamilton, he was the one talking about it. He was saying, I told them, when I blow the whistle once, you look up. When I blow it a second time, you all fall down. And they just thought it was hysterical. But, hey, we're getting 10 bucks and a beer, good for us. and um another piece of trivia when they're showing you the different areas of the fort they zoom in on um a building where it has uh a general's name general russ russhorn r-u-s-s-h-o-n apparently he was really a colonel that was connected to uh Broccoli and uh, the other... What's the other guy who produces these films? Saltzman. Saltzman. They had some connection to this colonel, and he's the one who got them the access. So I guess as a in-joke, they put his name up as a general on one of the buildings.
2: Hmm. I'm just looking for some more... uh, A little more trivia on this thing.
3: I was really impressed as a kid with that model of Fort Knox that Goldfinger had. Yeah, that was kind of cool. All you needed was a Lionel train going around it. Hey, I'm good with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's time for me to ask you, Dave. Yes, sir. Is this yours? I believe. Let me give the uh, rating system for anybody who doesn't know it already. If it's ranked Jaws, you're saying it's an all-time classic film. Very few flaws, if any. Just a great movie. Jaws 2, very solid movie, worthy of multiple viewings, but just not quite at the level of great. Jaws 3, watchable but nothing special. Jaws 4, bad movie. To, is this me, Jaws?
3: to, to me, this is Jaws. 100%. We could start a podcast is this goldfinger. That's how <laughs> that's how great this show is.
2: Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I mean there've been I don't even know how many James Bond movies at this point, but in my opinion, this is the gold standard, no pun intended. <laughs> this this is the best James Bond movie in my opinion. This is the one that encapsulated everything that you wanted. It's it's got the seriousness where you kind of need it but it's also got the lightheartedness in some points it's got the James Bond who is suave and yet ruthless himself uh you know the, the he fits the uh the old axiom uh you know every, every woman wants to be with him every man wants to be him uh it just you know in, in every aspect i feel like this movie delivers uh, when I when I on the occasions where I've made my top movies of all time, this is invariably in my top 20 of all time. This is, in my opinion, a great great movie. Solid acting, solid script, solid directing, sp- solid special effects. Everything about it. Uh, it is older, but I don't feel that it's dated, other than in you know the cars and the uh, and and the you know the style of clothing that people wear so yeah in my opinion this is jaws yeah
3: a phenomenal film everyone should see this movie
2: yeah if and, and i'm sure there's people out there who disagree but that's just because you're wrong right you're wrong so and, if, but, and but, and but don't if make
3: anybody, us have to come over there
2: <laughs> if anybody does disagree though I'd, I'd be interested in hearing it let me know what you think uh the email address is jaws at gmail.com let me know what you think of this one, if you think this doesn't stack up to other James Bond movies, if you think this doesn't isn't Jaws, uh, you know, if there's other movies that you'd like to hear us review, anything along those lines, please write in let me know. And uh, I guess that'll do it.
3: Thank you very much for having me on. It was a privilege and an honor to talk to you and about this picture in particular.
2: It's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend.
1: Good evening, 007. My name is James Bond. And members of your curious profession are few in number. You have been recognized. Let's say by one of your opposite numbers, who is also licensed to kill. Oh, that interesting car of yours. (laughs) I, too, have a new toy, but considerably more practical. You are looking at an industrial laser which emits an extraordinary light, not to be found in nature. It can project a spot on the moon, or at closer range, cut through solid metal. I will show you. This is gold, Mr. Bond. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance, its divine heaviness. I welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock, which is considerable. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to die. There is nothing you can talk to me about that I don't already know. you're forgetting one thing. If I fail to report, 008 replaces me. I trust he will be more successful. But well, he knows what I know. You know nothing, Mr. Bond. Operation Grand Slam, for instance. cannot possibly have any significance to you or anyone in your organization. Can you afford to take that chance? You are quite right, Mr. Bond. You are worth more to me alive.